Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Politics of Prosecution podcast series. Thank you for joining us today. This is Mikey Kennedy, and along with me, we have Hannah Nemenick, Shannon Rose, and Grace Crowder. A lot of what we focus on throughout the series involves the relationship between politics and prosecution on a national level. We're kind of focused mainly on domestic issues, but today we'd like to explain and discuss some aspects of the relationship between politics and prosecution on an international scale. So to give you some background, on October 17, 2020, the Department of Justice held a press conference to announce the official indictment of six Russian hackers. And so we're first going to give you a little insight into the events that led up to this indictment. But first, we're going to play a little recording of the press conference that actually happened. But as this case shows, no country has weaponized its cyber capabilities as maliciously and irresponsibly as Russia, wantonly causing unprecedented collateral damage to pursue small tactical advantages and fits of spite. The defendants in this case were all members of the military unit 74455 of the Russian main intelligence directorate known as the GRU. The department previously charged members of this same unit, also known to cybersecurity researchers as the Sandworm Team, for their role in Russia's efforts to interfere with the 2016 US elections. We make no election interference allegations here. Rather, today's charges illustrate how Unit 74455's election activities were, were but one part of a, the work of a persistent, sophisticated hacking group busy sabotaging perceived enemies or detractors of the Russian Federation, regardless of the consequences to innocent bystanders or their destabilizing effect. If you would like to listen to the whole conference, we'll have a link below. So six Russian hackers were all part of a Russian main intelligence directorate called the GRU, and they're being charged with conspiracy, computer hacking, wire fraud, aggravated identity theft, and false registration of a domain name. The hacker's intention originally was to help the Russian government by destabilizing and punishing the Ukraine, Georgia, France elections, those who were in charge of the 2018 Winter Olympics, and those trying to punish Russia for using a nerve agent on foreign soil. The difference between the types of malware used caused countrywide blackouts, billions of dollars in individuals' lost assets, and thousands of computer damages were affecting many countries like France, Georgia, the Netherlands, the Republic of Korea, the Ukraine, the UK, and even the US. I'm just going to go through a brief timeline of events that was discussed in the press conference um, about the Russian hackings. So in December 2015, the hackers used destructive malware to attack Ukraine's electric power grids, um, the Ministry of France and State of Treasury Service. In April and May of 2017, they targeted the French government prior to the French elections. In June of 2017, um, destructive malware attacks were used to corrupt computers worldwide and cost nearly a billion dollars in losses that affected um, hospitals, FedEx, pharmaceutical manufacturers, and more. Then in December of that year, mobile applications and computers targeted Olympic athletes, um, Korean citizens and officials, 
visitors, and the overall IT system. In April of the next year, 2018, hackers targeted investigations by the OPCW, or the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, and also the DSTL, also known as the United Kingdom's Defense Science and Technology Laboratory. Um, and these two organizations were looking into the Russian nerve agent Novichik that was used to kill a Russian military officer and his daughter, um, as well as other UK citizens. In 2018 and 2019, the hackers also targeted Georgian median companies and tried to compromise the network of parliament. So on October 15th, 2020, the federal grand jury of Pittsburgh charged the six Russian computer hackers with conspiracy, computer hacking, wire fraud, aggravated identity theft, and false registration of a domain name. And so the specific statutes um, are all under Title 18 of the U.S. Code. So the first one is 1030, which is the fraud and related activity in connection with computers. Then the second one is 1028 Part A, which is aggravated identity theft. And 1343 is fraud by wire, radio, or television. And 731 is conspiracy to defraud the United States. And while we would love to include like specific elements of each charge, they are extremely complicated and lengthy. So we thought it would be best to kind of just highlight which ones they were. But I would recommend kind of looking into them on your own time if you're curious for more specific details about each charge that they are facing. And you also may be wondering why the United States has the ability to even prosecute this case, because a lot of um, what we've talked about has been targeted at other countries. But even though the hackers weren't in the United States, the computers um, that they were hacking, some of them did occur in the United States. And so once that conspiracy is formed, um, anything that the hackers did leading up to a crime can be charged. So um, that's why the United States has the ability to um, kind of prosecute this case. Now that we've covered some of the basic information about the case, we wanted to discuss the press conference and the Department of Justice slash the prosecutor's relationship with the media. Uh, so the press conference began with certain members of the Department of Justice outlining the indictment and, and the case altogether. But then the floor was open, into question, was open to questions. A few times, though, in the press conference, we got to see that the speakers really refused to answer a lot of these questions. And here's just a quick example of um, how that refusal went. Yeah, thank you for doing this. Um, I just wanted to ask about a component of this news that was talked about by your British colleagues who mentioned that the 2021 Summer Games was also being targeted by these hackers. I didn't notice that in the indictment, and I wanted to know if Justice Department was aware of this targeting that's more recent. Thank you. Well, I think at this press conference, we're going to stick to what we've charged, which is, you know, back into the in, into the Winter Games. and. We'll take them as they come. So why do you guys think that the Department of Justice um, would go into detail during the press conference, but not be open to answering other questions and other details during that uh, Q&A section? Um, I think one thing that's important to know is at the beginning of the press conference, like before it was open to the floor for questioning, the Department of Justice people were really focusing on the things that were in the index. And an indictment is something that is public record. So really the media, journalists, really anyone who wants to view the indictment can go and look it up and read everything that's in it. And I noticed personally with a lot of the questions that the media was being, there were things that weren't directly related to the indictment. 
And so I personally do not think that the Department of Justice or prosecutors in general are going to go into detail on something that's not exactly um, public knowledge. So I think, you know, while they were holding a press conference and did open the floor to questions, they're still going to kind of stick to what is released because not every single thing that the Department of Justice is working on is something that will be made available to the public. And some of the questions were kind of related to something that the Department of Justice may currently be looking into and are not ready to comment on at this time. So I personally think that's why um, they didn't go into a lot of detail in the questioning, but did provide pretty good detail on the indictment. Yeah, and I think, you know, it speaks to some professionalism of the speakers at this press conference. I think it's important, like you said, for them to uphold the integrity of this case in, in unrelated cases, even if, even if they're related a little bit. I think um, public knowledge is public knowledge, and at the end of the day, they need to maintain the integrity of that knowledge. I think also, just to go along with what Hannah was saying, um, the prosecutors in the Department of Justice have very specific things that they're actually allowed to tell people, and then they have things that have to remain confidential um, in order to maintain the integrity of the case. So I feel like for them, it's easier just to like not answer questions, um, because we've all seen that the media can be a little pushy at times, so they're probably more like apt to just want to stick to the script and make sure that they don't accidentally slip up and say something that should not be released to the public before um, it is able to become public knowledge. And I also don't necessarily think that this reflects like a bad relationship between the Department of Justice or prosecutors in general with the media, because um, I think a lot of times like journalists are going to try and ask that question just to see if they might get an answer. But a lot of times I'm assuming they probably know that they're not going to get a direct answer with something that is kind of off the cuff and not necessarily related to the, the indictment or like the press conference topic in general. Um, but I guess one question I would be curious to kind of talk about is, do we think that the media is um, an effective check on like prosecutorial discretion or do we think it's more of like a reporting relationship versus, you know, making sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing? I think, you know, in this case, we saw a little bit of both. I think we see the media here trying to get inside information, uh, maybe get the speakers to, like um, Shannon was saying, maybe slip up and reveal something that isn't public knowledge yet or uh, isn't supposed to be revealed. To go off of that, I think that what everyone's saying is right, is like the media can kind of like push people to say what they want and I think it was good on their part of like the prosecutors not to say too much, but also they said as much as they could and that was in the indictment, but they weren't saying too much. And I think a lot media can twist things to how they want it to be and they can really force things out of people. And so a prosecutor wouldn't want to say something necessarily and the media twist it how they want um, the people of the public to see it or to get like excited about and people take that the wrong way necessarily and so it's probably easier for those prosecutors to just like stick what they're supposed to say and only say what's in the indictment just to be safe until the rest of the information can really be released to the public just in case of those circumstances. Yeah I would definitely agree with what both you and Mikey said because at the end of the day, like prosecutors are most likely investigating cases like behind the scenes and they're going to do everything they can to build the strongest case before 
bringing that to the public. And I also think too, you know, the media does in certain situations have the ability to skew the facts of a case or, you know, only focus on like one snippet of something when in reality, the picture is a lot bigger. So I can also understand why, okay, if we answer a question that like is really outside of the scope of what we're trying to do, that might be the one little snippet of information that a reporter picks up and writes an entire story on, even if it's not completely true or valid or even what the whole purpose of the case is about. So in that aspect, I don't necessarily think the media is the best check on prosecutorial discretion because at the end of the day, the media is going to get the case after it's already you know, become public knowledge. So that decision to prosecute something has already been made. So I don't know if any of you guys agree or disagree with that statement. Yeah, Hannah, I agree with you, but um, I also disagree with you at the same time. Um, I think that the media can be a check on prosecutorial power, um, but I'm not sure if it is in a positive way, a hundred percent of the time, I think that sometimes the media can like pressure a prosecutor to want to bring a case to trial that might not um, like necessarily have all the facts there. But I think they also do act as a check in a good way um, to make sure that the prosecutor really has all of their facts straight, especially before like a press conference like this, because the prosecutor is aware that once a case is made public, there's definitely going to be media attention brought to it, um, especially a case of this magnitude. And there's going to be hard questions asked and they have to be prepared for those questions and know all the facts of the case um, before they can go out in front of the media and present the case. Yes, Shannon, I also agree with that statement. Another thing I was thinking about too is, so say a prosecutor office um, brings like several, let's just say drug offense cases and the media reports on it in a negative light or they comment on, oh, the community doesn't seem to feel that these issues are really what they want to be prosecuted. Then that might affect in the future what type of cases a prosecutor is bringing. So in that sense, it might be a check on prosecutors. Um, And another thing I was thinking about as well is We've talked a lot about in class with, you know, elections and how certain prosecutors are elected officials. The majority of voters are probably not searching, you know, the recent cases or really paying too much attention to the day-to-day activities of prosecutors. So the media is a great way for um, voters to kind of learn what the prosecutors are prosecuting, you know, what they're doing, what type of things that they're really prioritizing. And that can help them be more educated voters. So in like one breath, I'm saying, you know, maybe the media doesn't necessarily gain all of the information, but at the same time, like it's still something that's really important um, as a check on prosecutors to make sure that a voters can maybe re-vote the same person into office, or they can say, you know what, I don't agree with what they're doing. I'm going to vote for someone else. So I think it is an important relationship that people probably don't pay attention to as much as they should, but I think it's a great resource for, you know, our citizens. And, and while we're on the topic of the media and, and their play in prosecution in general, how does media coverage affect jury selection? I, we, I don't think a jury would necessarily be used for a case like this, but do we feel that 
media coverage can impact the fairness of trials um, when, when referring to the topic of jury selection? You know, I think the media reporting on certain cases, maybe reporting on one particular type of case more than others, definitely would not probably influence someone's point of view, or at least they would have some sort of previous knowledge on a case. However, prosecutors and defense attorneys, for that matter, will go through like a specific process of questioning jurors and like even if they know something about the case is it going to affect their point of view or can they still look at the case um, in a non-biased way so I do think in some aspects it does potentially affect jury selection but there also are already steps in place to kind of mitigate those effects so I do think you know while it does have an effect I still think the pros of having media really report on prosecutorial discretion and like the cases that they're choosing to prosecute outweigh the potential um, effects on jury selection. Yeah, I also think one of the things now that's hard is that with media coverage, like it's not just about, oh, if you watch like the news in the morning, like there's literally media everywhere. We have our phones on us all the time. So we have Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, just the general news and like all kinds of other things that are shoved in our faces like on a daily basis. So there's really like news everywhere. And kind of like we talked about earlier, I think the media can sway how they want to project something and how they want a story to go. So that can also, it's not necessarily always a problem. But I think it's definitely more of a problem now than it used to be with just how often we see media around us. And so it can really affect jury selection and just finding people that aren't really biased one way or another. Because I think media already, it's going to sway one way or another. You're not really going to get like a story that's just neutral and just like gives the facts all the time because like the media wants something interesting and they're not just going to grab you with something neutral. So I think that can be a big problem with today's society and make jury selection hard, but it's still possible. I think Grace and Hannah both made um, really good points about there being good and bad sides um, of the media portraying a case before jury selection happens. But then I think we also have to go back to what we were talking about originally with the press conference um, and that um, the prosecutor can only share so much with the media and like a lot of facts of cases still have to say confidential um, prior to jury selection and prior to the trial. So when this jury gets selected and is then sitting in the trial in the courtroom, they're probably hearing um, like a lot of information that has not been heard by anybody um, in the public. So I think that we have to keep that in mind when thinking about how a jury could be biased because of the media and realize that like there's so much that we don't know that they're hearing that the media may not even have as big of an impact on them as we think. And I feel like there's a general knowledge that the media sways information one way or another. So I feel like even if a juror had heard a lot about this case on the media, I think that the the court and the prosecutors and uh, defense attorneys would have much more credibility to the juror personally than the media would. Um, and so I think that e- even in the case where the media was uh, playing out the facts of a case um, 
with a certain agenda, I think that jurors would still be able to listen to the facts and make an appropriate decision based on what they heard sitting in the courtroom. Cause I just think that they would trust the information there better, generally speaking. I just want to go back to the Russia case for um, a minute and ask you guys a question. So we've known about these hackings for about three years now. And I'm just curious if you guys think that um, this might have something to do with it being an election year. And that's why it's being brought up now. Like, is it political or do you think that it's genuinely just because a case like this takes so much time to gather all the facts? Um, and obviously it takes a lot of money. And so the amount of time it has taken is literally just because that's how long it has taken the prosecutors to put their case together. You know, I would I would say it's more involved with the, the length of time it takes to actually build a case like this. If we're looking at what this case involves, it involves two very complex things. The first one being the fact that it's it's a set of cyber crimes, and the second being that it's it, they were committed by um, a foreign nation. So if you think about how long it would actually take to search through all the digital records to find the physical, I guess, digital evidence um, to be able to indict these individuals for a cyber crime, along with the fact that this is evidence we're pulling from Russia, like this is a whole different continent we're working with it's not on u.s soil it's not something that we can we can just acquire via a, a warrant or whatever like this is this is a much more complex matter when dealing with crimes um, in a foreign land so i think that the fact that it has taken three years is mainly due to that idea of how complex and intricate the uh, details of this case are yeah mikey i definitely agree with that and as i stated earlier the charges that the six um, people are being charged with are very complex and very long. And there's a lot of elements that go into forming that charge. And so I think that the prosecutors in the Department of Justice, they're not going to charge these people with these certain crimes if they don't know that they can prove each and every element of those of those um, charges. And since they are so complicated, like you said, Mikey, it's going to take time to really build a strong case and, you know, Shannon, you asked if it has anything to do with the upcoming election. Um, I don't know if any of us can really say for sure. I kind of lean towards no, just for the fact that it is something that has been happening for so many years and that it does take a long time to build a case. So in some ways, it may just seem be a coincidence, um, but I would be willing to like kind of argue back and forth if we think it does have anything to do with the upcoming election. Well, I would I would lean more on the this side of no but if we're talking about like a neutral position on um it having to do something with the election i think it could serve the purpose of kind of serving as an example to other nations that may be or other individuals in um other countries that may be debating um any cybercrime to deal with our election i know that that's a worry that our presidential candidates have have voiced their opinions on and i think that prosecuting um these these six uh, Russian hackers right before an election kind of sends a warning, like we're not taking these cyber crimes lightly. This is not something we're just going to let blow over. We're going to take the three years. We're going to take the time to find the evidence and to build a case against these individuals if they choose to, to do these things. Yeah. I mean, I kind of lean the same way with all of y'all. I think we all kind of lean towards, we think it's more of a coincidence and, 
that taking time to build a case. And I know you're definitely not going to want to give out information. Like these prosecutors are not going to want to give out information randomly, like right when they get it, because you don't know what is true and you have to build that case, like Mikey said. And so you don't want to give out false information, especially to media who we've already talked about can kind of twist stories how they want. And so I think we all just kind of lean towards that it's a coincidence, but I think it's more just to bring the attention to the hackings, kind of like y'all said, and in order to bring that attention, they needed to, I mean, shed light on this. One of the incidences that Shannon talked about earlier was in April and May of 2017 with the French elections that they tried to tamper with those. And so this can be a problem. And I think it's really just to bring light to the issue. And it did happen to fall around our election. Yeah. And I think, Mikey, you touched on something that I think was a really good point about how it does send a message to like the greater community, not just in the United States, but like foreign countries that the United States is willing to use their power to prosecute these people. And given that our election is, well, at this point, days away, um, but when this was originally um, released, it was um, a couple weeks away. It it does send that message of, you know what, if you're going to do this to our elections in the future, like we will prosecute you and we will form a case against you. And so that could be a deterrence for future tampering um, with elections. And again, how Mikey said, like, it has been a topic of conversation, not only in the presidential debates, but just like in the media in general of like a fear that this could happen. And so I think it was, well, it doesn't necessarily have a direct um, reflection on like the timing with the election. I think it does send that message that might make voters feel safer to go out and vote and use their right to do so. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I never really thought um, about like the deterrence aspect of this um, and for our election specifically, but I think it sends like an even broader message than that because as we've seen, like none of these direct hacking attacks happened on American soil, but American prosecutors are still the ones that are taking it under their wing and Um, making sure that somebody's held accountable, or at least trying to. Um, And I think that this just sends a global message that, like, don't really mess with anybody, because if American prosecutors have any jurisdiction to prosecute a case, like, they're going to. Um, And they're not just going to let something like this, like, fly under the radar again. Um. And I think this also kind of plays back to that relationship with the media um, because, you know, say they did the indictment um, and all of that, but the media, they didn't have a press conference. The media didn't really report on it as much. It wouldn't get that global attention that's necessary to act as a deterrence. So in that way, I think it's another example of how the prosecutor and media relationship is really important because a lot of people probably wouldn't have even heard about this unless it made like national news. So I just think that's another example of why the media does play an important role in not necessarily checking the power of prosecutors, but kind of furthering that power on a global scale. Yeah, those are those are all great points. And um, Shannon, I like what you said about how it kind of sends a message to the greater community um, in general. And I think that is a great trans- transition into our next topic of discussion. You know, like we said, 
a case like this that involves cybercrime by a foreign nation is going to take an especially lengthy amount of time uh, to get it all developed and prepared and to build this case. And not only does it involve, like we said, the tracking of digital records, but those records are as far away as Russia. Um, so what would make a case like this one worth all the time and resources? And really, what are the implications of these charges um, once, once they go through? I think that charging this case, no matter how much money it costs or how much time it takes, is like worth it for not only the U.S., but for the world. Just to like, I don't know, like um, call to develop more resources um, to prevent attacks, cyber attacks like this from happening in the future, because we haven't really seen anything on this large of a scale before. And that's, like I said, not just for the U.S., but for the entire world. So hopefully we can get something that's useful out of spending this money to and like our time to charge this case rather than just seeing like some people go to jail or having Russia like pay fines to other countries um, or to the U.S. Yeah. And if we're being like completely honest, like the possibility that these people will actually be brought to the United States to go on trial is pretty slim. Um, and that's just like the reality of um, charging like foreign people. Um, however, I think it still warrants, um, you know, going through the motions of getting the indictment, um, going in front of a grand jury and really reporting this um, to the media. Because again, as we talked about, like it can act as a d deterrence for future um, crimes such as this one. And also, oh, I know like one thing we've talked about previously in other episodes is like the role that the community plays. And so like in this case, the community is a lot larger than what we would traditionally think about. Um, it's not just the United States, it's the entire, really the entire world. And so I think that it is important that we did prosecute this case, even if it doesn't necessarily get the outcome of putting these people behind bars. Yeah, so I think just from this case, I mean, kind of like we've talked about, it just gets it out there um, with this press conference and with the media, it gets the information out there to everybody. So hopefully that when this does happen again, if it does happen again, then it's going to be seen sooner and the FBI can find these people. I know they were a huge part in this case and bringing these people to light and showing what they have done. And so they were a huge part in this. And so just to tell everybody what is going on really is a huge deal. And so that's what we want to show everybody. And it can make a big impact to later see if this is a problem. Yeah. And I think this is really how you build precedence by putting all your resources and all your time forward on a, on a case that we haven't really seen many examples of before. Um, if we think about this crime, like cybercrime is going to really be at its peak with our technological advancements that we have today. Um, and so how you build a precedent for this is by really going all in on, on a major case such as this and, and showing other nations, this is what happens when you, you commit these acts and, um, having something for courts to look back on if they experience these issues in the future. I also think we might find more like 
hacks or Russian involvement in other cyber crimes, the more we look into um, this case, like the timeline that we presented at the beginning of the podcast and the one that was gone through in the um, press conference is really just what we know, like as of now. And that doesn't mean that more isn't going to necessarily be discovered within the next few months or few years. And like, obviously, we're not able to go back and um, like change what happened or like change any outcomes of anything that was affected by the cyber crimes. But like, because cyber crimes are so new in our world, I think that it would really just show like how much power one nation can have um, through literally just the internet. And I think that it would just exemplify how big of a deal this is and like how much we need to stop it. Right. And I think that's a concern for people all across, you know, the United States is, is privacy, especially, uh, from hackers, you know, domestic hackers and hackers across the world. And I think that leads the leads to the question are there community pressures on a prosecutor when dealing with a case um, that includes privacy and privacy issues caused from outside of the community and one thing that you said mikey earlier is just like how new cybercrime is and so i think that also speaks to another portion of how we were saying you know it takes a really long time to build these cases because this is something that is such a new and evolving issue um, I think they probably wanted to make sure that they get it right and make sure that they are setting an accurate precedent um, moving forward. And I also think it'll be really interesting to see how cybercrime kind of evolves as we move forward, because I think we've seen how quick, you know, our technology has advanced and the laws that we formulate will have to kind of really build upon the advancements that we have. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see what type of things prosecutors and legislators choose to kind of add to our laws to really combat these issues moving forward. Yeah, and I think one of the things like with the community pressures and this case being with outside of our community and with dealing with people in Russia, like the U.S. and the prosecutors here, like they want to look good. They want to make this case not make it a big deal but they want to do the best they can for the united states and to so these so these hackers um are prosecuted and so i really think with the community pressures with this being a case outside of the community they're really pressured to stand up for the United States and stand up for cases like this that might happen in the future and to show that the United States like is a world power and like we know what we're doing and we can handle a case like this and I think that's a big pressure that these prosecutors are going to face with this being something that's outside of us. And I do think especially with the timeliness of this you know concurring with the election I do think people are worried about their votes being hacked um, by foreign nations or even domestic nations. So I think that prosecutors face the community pressure of take, you know, take this seriously, please, because this is a concern that we have, especially um, in in our election for this year. Yeah, and I think that um, it all goes back really to what we were talking about in the beginning of our discussion um, regarding the media. I mean, 
we've all been hearing the talk in the news about how this election like could have some fraud as we talked about in our previous podcast um and then they're at the same time like no that's probably not going to happen and in my opinion I mean I don't know what you guys think or if you agree or not but if prosecutors thought that maybe um this Russian hacking could have anything to do with our upcoming election or elections in the past as it was shown with the French election to have had an effect I think they just wanted to like jump on it right now and like squash it um and show the American people that like they are taking it seriously and they are looking into it um and they're going to make sure that it isn't affecting our domestic affairs yeah I I think that's a great point um and I think that we can transition with that and go into, you know, a topic of legality versus uh, political aims. And I think that ties into the baseline of this, this podcast series as a whole. So do we think that this case receives more attention due to its legal implications or due to its political aims? And, and do we think those align? And do we know what the political aims are? I mean, I, I, I'm curious to hear your opinions on that. Yeah, I think that they do kind of go hand in hand because with this specific case, with it being so close to our election, like the purpose, you know, we could argue is to give people peace of mind as they head to the polls, but it could also be argued that this is more just to send a global message of, Hey, we're going to prosecute cyber crimes. If you do this type of thing again, like we will bring the case to you. And in some ways I don't really know exactly what like the domestic political aim would be but as far as like relationship with foreign countries like i could see that being more of a political aim which also does kind of relate back to the law because you know the conspiracy was not just aimed at the united states but with other countries as well yeah i also agree with hannah um and lean towards more of this being a legality issue rather than a political issue because i don't really think that um any of us have heard of a like case this big in our lifetimes and i mean the u.s is working to prosecute six hackers on a different continent um to bring justice to mostly other countries that were affected by these cyber crimes i mean like at the end of the day the u.s wasn't affected nearly as much as these other countries that we listed off at the beginning of the podcast And so that's why I think the U.S. specifically reporting it is much more um, on a legal basis and a basis of presenting the facts of the case rather than having any political motives here. I guess a major question that isn't really related to the facts of this case specifically would be like, does this case, does a case like this, I guess, give prosecutors too much power? We've talked about this issue time and time again. Do prosecutors have too much power? Um, for this case that they're given power to prosecute crimes that happen on for, foreign soil. What what do you guys think about this significant amount of power? You know, I think, yes, we can argue, like, it does give them a lot of power to prosecute people that are not United States citizens. But at the end of the day, like, these crimes that were committed did directly affect certain things in the United States. So in that aspect, you know, the Department of Justice and prosecutors have every single right to go after these individuals because at the end of the day, the whole purpose of prosecutors and the Department of Justice is to protect the United States and its citizens from 
people violating our laws. And so while it might seem like it's too much power, it is the power that is directly given to them. So I feel like it's not necessarily too much power because they're not going outside of like what they're allowed to do, if that makes sense. I think also, as Hannah mentioned earlier, um, the Russians aren't going to be brought here to stand trial, most likely. Um, And I think that in itself shows that the prosecutors actually don't have too much power. Um, They're really just using like what they have um, to do what they can here in the U.S., but they're not like completely stepping into another country's justice system um, and like flying over to Russia and um, making the hackers stand a trial by jury um, and have an American judge and American prosecutors there um, deciding their um, punishment and whatnot. So I really think that this is the reason why prosecutors aren't given too much power in this instance. Yeah, I definitely agree. And kind of going back to Hannah's point, I think it would be very different if this hadn't affected the U.S. And like Shannon said, they were like going to these places and like making them have these trials just to like show the United States power, I guess. I don't know why they would do that, but if they did, that might be a situation. And so I think it is very different since it did affect us and it didn't affect the whole U.S., but even parts of it. I know Pennsylvania, like Philadelphia, that was a big problem. And so I think they definitely have the right to do this and they need to just because if they didn't, then I don't think that would show well for them that people are attacking the U.S. and they're not doing anything about it. So I don't think they're giving them too much power either. I think kind of just what Shannon said was really good and they're not really getting too much power necessarily, but they're definitely showing that we do have some power, which is what they need to be doing. And I think to even go further onto that, we have to ask ourselves the question, if if they don't have the power to do it, then who does? Because somebody has to do it, right? And even though it is um, a, a foreign a crime committed on a, on a foreign soil, we we have to understand that if it affects us, we have to have somebody who has the power to um, deal with that issue. And that is our prosecutor. So I do think I agree with everything you guys are saying. I think that it is justifiable that they have this power for sure. That's a really good point, Mikey. And I don't think that um, this case is here for the U S to assert their dominance um, or look like, like the U.S. has the most power or anything like that or the best justice system. I think it's more of the U.S. stepping up and saying, um, like, if no one else is going to charge this case, we're going to because we don't want it to go unnoticed um, and the consequences to go unheard. Um, And on that note, I think this is a really good stopping point for this episode, um, leaving off on talking about the power of the prosecutor. And we also made a lot of other good points today talking about foreign investigations um, and also the relationship between the media and the prosecutor. Um, Once again, if you want to listen to the full press conference that we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, that will be linked below in the show notes. Um, And if you like today's podcast, um, you can follow at P-O-L-I underscore P-R-O-S on Twitter and at P-O-L-I dot N dot P-R-O-S on Instagram. 
Any comments about today's episode can be emailed to Dr. Ingram at poli.n.pros at gmail.com.